Kiddos, y'all enjoy your class. Go easy on your teachers. If this is y'all's first time with us, the kids are heading over to their classes with adults who will deliver them to other adults who will watch them and care for them and teach them uh, well. They prepare uh, really well each week, so that's what they're doing. Welcome. We're glad y'all are here. Um, Happy Wednesday. Hope y'all enjoyed the warmer weather. Looks like it's about to take a turn. Um, tonight we're going to be talking about meditation, and, uh, and, and I don't expect it's going to be weird, so I feel like I just got to say that up front, because I feel like there's a bit of a stigma that goes along with things like meditation, where it's like, gets all hocus pocus and weird and eastern and sitting in an uncomfortable way and humming and all that stuff, so um, I'm not going to require that of anybody. So we'll, uh, I don't think scripture does, but, but we'll, uh, we'll talk through some of those details. So let's pray, and then we will dive in. Lord, we come to you now, and we, we humble ourselves before you. And, and my hope tonight, Lord, is that we would grow um, closer to you um, as we talk through these spiritual disciplines. My hope isn't just to gain understanding um, or just to gain some new realm of knowledge or 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 even dabble in it. Um, it's not just about learning new things, Lord. It's, it's about genuinely being transformed uh, by the renewal of our minds because of an encounter with the living God. So I pray that tonight we would learn, but it would be for the purpose of a closer relationship with you and, and for the purpose of walking in obedience. Um, I pray for honesty as we consider some of our um, tendencies and some of our preconceived notions and some of our uh, hidden sins. Um, I pray um, that our hearts and minds would would respond rightly to the word. Uh, I also pray that we would glean wisdom from those who have walked before us, who given when they walked and where they walked, I think their experience with things like meditation and other spiritual disciplines is, is maybe a, a little deeper than, than most of ours. Um, I also confess, Lord, that um, I'm teaching something tonight that I have not even come close to mastering. Um, I feel like a total, uh, a total um, rookie at meditating. Um, so uh, we pray that you would use this time as you see fit, that you would speak as you see fit, and that we would receive your word rightly. We love you, Lord. Uh, we pray for the work of the Holy Spirit and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, um, I explained that we're going to spend the majority of our spring semester talking through the disciplines. And last week, we, the title of it was The Door to Liberation, and just this consideration that the spiritual disciplines in Scripture free us from selfishness, from self-interest, free us from fear, free us from a number of things that hinder us in our race. There's a lot of what we're studying that goes very hand-in-hand with Hebrews 12 and not being hindered as we are called to endure as we run the race. And so we're talking through these um, specific disciplines, and tonight we're going to focus in on meditation. Um, Last week, Isaiah 57.20, what did Isaiah 57.20, there was a a picture that that, you you can go and turn there um, if you'd like. There was a picture in Isaiah 57.20 of of the wicked, and do you remember how they were described now, yeah, what was, the, what was the image that was given? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Does someone have that? Want to read it out loud? Anybody? So, so what is that image of the waters continually going and tossing up the mire and the dirt? What does that reveal about the life of the wicked? What, what did you say? Never at peace. What else? No clarity. No clarity. Yeah, things are cloudy and, and confusing. What else? Inconsistent, consistently inconsistent. Yeah, this, this perpetual inconsistency of unrest and confusion and turmoil. But Romans 14.7 revealed what about the life of God's children? Feel free to turn there to answer the question. Romans 14.7. What did it reveal about the life of God's children as opposed to the life of the wicked? Romans 14.7. Mm-hmm. We don't live to ourselves. We don't die to ourselves. And what does it say about the life for, for those who are his? And there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is what we considered last week. So why is that important? Well, the reason that's important is because if, if we find ourselves generally as a Christian culture, Christian community, people of a church, if we're generally in a state of unrest and generally in a state of turmoil and generally in a state of confusion and generally in a state of just this frantic movement where you feel like you have no control over anything, God says that's actually the life of the wicked. It's the life of the wicked that's like that tossing turmoil of the wave stirring up dirt. It's what it does. That, that's the way that life goes. And so it should cause us to take a step back and say, okay, do I have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, or does my life look more like the description given to the wicked? And what we, what we talked about last, last week was that um, to consider the, the way and the, um, the mode and the, the, the normal things of our life, um, the spiritual disciplines help us to get good seed into good ground. And so we're going to talk tonight about meditation. So what comes to mind when I mention meditation? Mysticism. Monks. Yoga. Mysticism. Yep. Meditate on God's word day and night. Um, yeah. Pondering, deep thinking. Well, that's quite the spectrum that we're beginning with. We've got monks and mysticism and humming and pondering God's word day and night deeply. And so that's, I mean, that's what we're working with. So what I want to make very clear is Christian meditation is very different from Eastern meditation. Interestingly, Christian meditation finds its roots in some of the Eastern things because, well, when, where was most of our, our Old Testament to come from other than the East? And so there are details of the Eastern way of meditating that we'll find 
as we're digging through what Christian meditation is. But the main difference that I just want to state up front is that Eastern meditation attempts to empty the mind and Christian meditation attempts to fill it with the right things to think upon. That's a very important point when we're talking about Christian meditation. Eastern meditation, the goal is empty the mind, hum, crystals, whatever, incense, you name it. And, um, and Christian meditation is the opposite. It's don't empty your mind, um, fill it with, with good things to think on. And so um, Thomas Merton, um, he's a guy that you'll probably hear me quoting a good bit um, through this study. Um, he says, true contemplation is not a psychological trick, but a theological grace. Meditation is really very simple, and there's not much need to elaborate techniques to teach us how to go about it. We'll touch on a few different techniques, sort of a palms up, palms down thing that's, that's explained in, in Foster's book that may be helpful. We'll touch on a couple of those techniques in this week and next week. We'll probably spend two weeks on meditation. But what I want you all to see up front is that our main purpose is, is going to be spending time considering what meditation is biblically. Um, because when you look at what it is biblically, I don't think you're going to need a whole lot of pointers on technique. Um, but when we think about meditation, that's, I, that's where I go. I was thinking, how am I going to teach a whole week on how to meditate? Like, we're going to talk about how we sit or what, what kind of you know, candle we light or what kind of music we play in the background. And, and really, just as I was looking at it, it's, we're going to spend time looking at what it is biblically. And there will be a few pointers um, that, that smart men who have walked before us and smart women who have walked before us um, have given us that we will consider. But the main time that we're going to spend is considering what meditation is biblically. Because I want you to know this is not just a topical study on an idea that a man had. Scripture has a few different words that it uses for meditation or meditate, and those words are used some 58 times throughout the word with, with various meanings. So meditation in script is deeply, deeply rooted in Scripture. Um, if you kind of take them all together, the various meanings include listening to God's word, reflecting on God's works, rehearsing God's deeds, ruminating on God's law, and more that we'll talk about in the study. But those were listening to God's words, reflecting on God's works, rehearsing God's deeds, and ruminating on God's law. And in each case, it's not just a matter of going to some state that is different and, and gleaning and, and considering. In each of the times that those 58 times that they're used in Scripture, which we're about to go look at a couple of them, there's a stress upon changed behavior as a result of our encounter with the living God. So the focus is not escapism. Like, have you all heard of escapism before where it's sort of this... You know, we just got to have some alone me time to get away from all the craziness. And it is good to have moments of solitude and quiet. Solitude itself is a discipline we're going to talk about. But the meditation we're talking about is not one where we escape reality. If this meditation has any value, it's a value that is deeply and firmly rooted in real life, in just the day-to-day -day grind. And most of the practical things that I think we'll glean from meditating will be daily, unimpressive insights that help us with things like marriage and parenting and 
other disciplines and finances. and I mean, you name it. It's just the daily stuff. And so this is not about escaping to another world in your mind for a period of time so that you can ease your way back into this world. Um, it's about living in this world as best you can. It's supposed to stir us in a manner by which we want to be as present as we can where we are, and we also want to do as much as we can to help and improve and bring God's kingdom forward in the world that we live in, not escape from it. So um, Christian meditation, very simply, is the ability to hear God's voice and obey God's word. That's what Christian meditation is. The ability to hear God's word, hear God's voice, and obey his word. So my question if we're saying this whole focus up front is stressed upon changed behavior because we're encountering a living God, we, can, we, we, we go, we see the Lord, we, we have this beautiful um, fellowship with him that's uninterrupted in meditation, and, and we come away changed and our, our behavior changes, we hear God's voice, our hope is to obey his word. My question is, what are the things that most often get in the way of hearing God's voice because we need to identify those before we talk about what it even means to hear God's voice. What are the things that get in the way for you guys or friends you know? Ourselves? How so? Yeah. Yeah, focusing on what you need instead of maybe what he says. That's where you figure out your need and say, okay, where can I find in here how I meet that need as opposed to just laying your life bare before it. Yeah, so selfishness absolutely gets in the way of hearing God's voice. What are some other things? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, prayer is hearing from God as well as talking to God and, and meditation is largely shutting it <laughs> and listening while working through things. There is a, a muttering that we'll talk about in a little bit. Don't freak out. It's not weird, but we'll get there. Busy minds. Mm. Yep, busy minds all over the place. If I was to take the next five minutes, I was really tempted to do it, but it makes me so uncomfortable, I'm not going to, but if I was to take the next five minutes, and just say, we're not going to say a word, and all I want you to think about is the peace of God, I think half the room would probably freak out, there'd be like 10 bathroom breaks, everyone would be thirsty, lots of coughing, it's very difficult, our minds can go all over the place, and, and to sit and say, I'm just going to focus on some particular thing from the word, is difficult, because what... Why are our minds all over the place? Kids? We're not blaming anyone. We're just establishing realities. Yeah. Yeah. You're expected to be on multitasking all the time, which is actually just switch tasking most of the time. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. You're exposed to tons of information to make tons of decisions in a short amount of time. What are some of the ways you're exposed to tons of information? Phone? TV? Internet? Radio? 
There's some guys that, I don't have internet on my phone, blah, blah, blah. But ESPN Radio is, we'll get to that in a minute. I think just sometimes there's time aspects. Yep. Yep. Hard to be in the solitude and still be mindful. It's a great point. Don't meditate right before you go to bed on your pillow <laughs> as you're laying down. It's not a good time to do that. Yeah, I, I, the, my big out-front conviction going into this study is just how severely undisciplined I have. Not just how undisciplined I feel, how undisciplined I am. It's just the reality. When I look at where I'm spending my time, what I'm doing, I can be disciplined in some things, but in the things that I should be disciplined in, these spiritual disciplines, I'm finding um, some real need for work. And that's why, I, before every one of these studies, I'm really praying for honesty, that we can be honest with ourselves but also be patient with ourselves to take some time to try to lean forward and, 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 and work on some of these things and, uh, and like taking some steps and working on them because discipline is one of the, or lack of discipline is one of the big reasons that um, uh, we don't, we don't um, meditate very much. Show of hands, um, who has meditated in the last six months? Okay. We'll get to that. Yeah, that's, a, that's probably the best question in the room right now. What are you talking about when you say meditation? I may have. Um, uh, that's a really good question because we're going we're gonna to find that I think most of us meditate more, more than we realize. Um, but just by show of hands, I think very few of us mindfully try to go and meditate on something um, biblically right in a biblically right manner. Mm-hmm. When you go into what? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Jerry, were you going to say something? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> change it from meditate to medicate. We'll all be raising our hands, and we got all kinds of examples. Um, turn to Genesis 24. Uh, we're going to go through a couple of uh, different pieces of scripture uh, where meditation is present, and I just want to see, um, moving through them fairly quickly, uh, what we can glean. Genesis twenty four sixty three. Um, this is where, um, to give some context, the context is that Isaac is anticipating the arrival of his bride Rebecca. It's that funny scripture where he says, "Behold, donkeys." As opposed to, behold, my bride. I always thought it was weird. Um, but he, he's, he's waiting on her. He's anticipating her. Um, his, his servant has gone to, to find the woman. And um, we learn lots through the story of Isaac and Rebekah. But here in this moment, in, in Genesis 24, 63, it says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. 
And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. So in this moment, the context is he's anticipating the arrival of his bride-to-be. And in the following chapter, his father Abraham is, is going to die, and which, which brings him into a, a bit of a new, new role. So my question in that very short instance of meditation, this is the first one that we engage in scriptures, where he goes out into the field and meditate. Um, what did Isaac have to do to meditate? He went to go out where? Into the field. Why do y'all think he had to do that? Yeah, it, he's eliminating distractions. So, so far what we have in Christian meditation is not the most mind-blowing thing. Go somewhere and eliminate distractions. Now, you can't leave your children and go to a field all the time, obviously, um, but it's good to try to eliminate distractions. He was going out for, to find himself in a place where he could think, where he could consider some things. Um, he knew the importance of hearing God's voice so that he might obey God's word is what we're seeing here. That's what we're talking about meditation. We want to hear God's voice. We can obey his word. And he knew the importance of hearing from God as he, as he anticipated um, his bride sort of coming down the, the, the aisle, in, in a sense, um, to come and, and, and meet him. And so it's, when you really think about a wedding day, can you imagine that being part of the schedule? Like the groom is going to meditate for an hour before the wedding. Every wedding planner on planet Earth would freak out. No, no, no. We've got so many other more important things to do. But here, this first, I think it's just interesting that in the very first instance that meditation is mentioned in Scripture, that we see him going out to a field as his bride is coming near because he knows he needs to hear God's voice and he knows that he can't hear it. Necess- I mean, you can hear God's voice anywhere, obviously. He's omnipresent. Um, but but there, is a, there is a time where it is appropriate to, to go away to move to a, a spot where you can focus on the Lord. Um, turn over to Joshua 1. We're going to spend more time in this one. Joshua 1. We went there because that's the first one, and it's very simple. He just went out to the field to, to meditate. In the midst of all the craziness of his bride showing up and meeting the one um, whom he would will to love because love is not a feeling, it's an act of the will. That's another study. Um, if you will to love someone, you can. It doesn't sound very romantic, but that's what we learned from Isaac and Rebecca. Um, but he finds that it's so necessary to, to, to engage the Lord in meditation. Look at Joshua 1. I'm going to read verses 6 through 7. So we'll start with verse 6. Joshua 1, 6. Um, this is a pivotal time for Israel. And Joshua is being called to a role that is very important in this pivotal time for God's people. And it says in Joshua 1, verse 6, Be strong... And courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So, my first two questions are this. The first one, What is God commanding Joshua and his people to be? Strong and courageous. Write that in your notes. God is commanding them to be strong and courageous. What is God commanding them to do? The law. To be careful. 
He's commanding them to be careful to obey the law. So, pivotal moment, God is coming to them, you be strong, you be courageous, and you be careful to obey the law. Those are the three things that that we've heard from the Lord here. And then look at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. I'm going to read that again. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. What role does meditation play in the process of being and doing? What role does meditation play here in the process of being what God calls you to be and doing what God calls you to do? Yeah, mindful and to be and to have follow through. What else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, careful as opposed to what? Careless, reckless. What we see here is that. The role meditation plays in the process of being and doing is it helps us to be careful and not careless. And what we see is, do you think they knew the law? Did they know the law? We're talking about Old Testament Jews. For real, they knew the law. They really knew the law. They knew it better than most of us know our Old Testament and New Testament. They knew the law. They lived the law. The daily motion of their lives revolved around the law. But God is telling them here that it's not enough to just know it. They have to meditate on it. You see what God's calling them to here? It's not enough to know the law. You have to meditate on it as part of the process of being what God calls you to be and doing what God calls you to do. Another way for us to maybe wrap our heads around that is to say it's not enough to just hear the sermon. You have to meditate on it. It's not enough to just read the scripture. You have to meditate on it. It's not enough to just come to Wednesday night study. You need to meditate on what you hear. God is telling them that it is important for them to meditate when? Day and night. I've been convicted in the last couple years. Um, Trying to get one two-year-old to sleep in their bed is a challenge. Trying to get two is, is more of a challenge for me personally. And I have a default mode when I wake up, and it's hacked off. Like, wake me up, I'm mad. If it's between the hours of midnight and 6, and even 6 is kind of pushing it some mornings, I'm like, I'm just mad. Like, I'm like oh, I had a bad dream. What? I mean, that's my default. I'm, I, I'm like, man up, you know, whatever. And, and I have to watch that because I have a tendency to... I know how I am when I don't get good sleep, and so I have a tendency to make an idol of sleep. So what if, what if God wakes me up to read something from the Word, to pray for someone? He, he did that with me, humorously. Um, you better get out of bed, because what will happen is he'll wake you up the next night. And the next night, I, I had three nights in a row where I woke up thinking about this family that I used to be close to back when I lived in Dallas, a family I grew up with. Um, 
Stephanie, Bubba, and Jimmy McGuire, and I haven't spoken to them in well over a decade, and I woke up in the middle of the night with them on my mind. I was like, what in the world is that? Like, we don't talk. We're not buddies. I think we may be Facebook friends, but I'm not, like, following their life. Why am I thinking about this random family from my past? Went back to sleep. Next night, the Lord woke me up thinking about the McGuire's. I'm like, what in the world? And I was kind of mad. I was like, I want to go to sleep and not think about this random family. So I go back to sleep. The next night, the Lord wakes me up. So almost spitefully and not in the most wonderful spirit of worship, I pray for them. And I begin to just pray whatever I feel like the Holy Spirit's leading. I'm like, I don't even know where they're at in life. And so I said I prayed for good rest for them and for, um, <laughs> and for joy for them uh, in, in whatever they're doing, and particularly that God would sustain them when they're tired. That's what, what I was feeling. And so I prayed for them. And the next day, I got on Facebook, and I was like, do I know, are my friends, okay, I'm, and, I, and I wrote a message to all three of them, said, hey guys, crazy guy here, um, I haven't seen y'all in over a decade, um, but the Lord has woke me up the last three nights uh, to pray for y'all, and my main reason for writing you is so that he doesn't wake me up tonight. <laughs> and, and I said, here's what I prayed, and I, and I just want y'all to know, the Lord loves you enough to have someone from your past pray for you. And all three of them wrote back and said something that was going on that was particular and specific, that those prayers were... Um, that they were so thankful for him. One of them was up with a baby multiple nights in a row and was tired. And I'm just sitting there going, I'm such a jerk. God loves them enough to wake me, of all people, up to pray for them because they're tired from being up with a newborn baby. That's, that's a deep love from the Father. But sometimes we idolize sleep. And I, I remember reading about something from a guy who lives in a very different part of the world than we do, and he just said, I, I fear that Americans are lazy when it comes to, to keeping in step with the Spirit, especially in, in the middle of the night. And so um, I, I just would encourage you to, when this says meditate on it in the night and during the day, don't just assume he'll only have you do that during the day. There may be times where you need to get up and, and consider the Word and go to it and read through it. And you may be able to go back to sleep. You may be up for the rest of the day. But rather than complaining and making an idol out of it and letting the day be ruined, um, allow God to sustain you. Uh, look to him to sustain you. If, if he woke you up to do that, he'll sustain you the next day. And it may be that you need to be more mindful of how you're acting and how you're responding. So um, 2 Timothy 2.7 Meditating over things day and night. You don't have to turn there, but it says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That's actually a verse that I've, for a while now, wanted to put over the door as we're leaving this place. Because what it tells us is that anything worth listening to is worth thinking about. If it's not worth thinking about, don't listen to it. Don't expose yourself to it. That's part of the reason that we're in information overload is because we're listening to a bunch of things that we don't really need to spend any time thinking about them. There's a book called, um, uh, what is it called? Um, Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. 
And he just talks about how most news is not news and most information is not actually information. The queen has a cold. How does that affect your life? And he wrote this brilliant prophetic book about the telegraph. And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness. And since that time, here we are with the internet and you know everything at our fingertips on our phones. And so um, this verse, think over what I say and the Lord will give you understanding. This means that anything worth listening to is worth thinking about. And in thinking about it, we gain understanding by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important to find a good church home, wherever you are. If y'all ever move from here and you need to find, find a place where it's worth listening to, because if it's worth listening to, it's worth thinking about. Because God does a lot of work after you've heard it. And that's a lot of what happens during meditation. One commentator says, in, in reference to Joshua, God means not for Joshua to, merely, to be merely familiar with the book, or that he read through sections of it quickly in the morning, like we do with our McShane reading guides, but that he be captivated by it, and that he build his life on its truths. God's aim is that Joshua's spare thoughts would go there, that his idle mind would gravitate there. God's words of instruction are to saturate his life, to give him direction, to shape his mind, to form his patterns, to fuel his affections and inspire his actions. So this helps us as we're looking at Joshua, this helps us to understand where meditation falls for the Christian. This helps us understand when do I do this? Because some of these, um, some of these uh, disciplines stand a little bit more on their own, but what we're finding here is that meditation doesn't. Um, Don Whitney, who has written a lot about the spiritual disciplines, quotes several prominent Puritans um, to the effect that meditation is the missing link between Bible intake and prayer. So if you're like making a little chart, Bible intake, space, prayer. And what you put in the space is meditation. And he quotes these few, a few Puritans. He says, William Bridge says, begin with reading or hearing, go on with meditation, and end in prayer. So in the same way that we read the word and we have a tendency to read it and then jump to application, sometimes we have a tendency to read it or hear it and just jump to prayer. And he's saying, maybe, maybe that's why your prayers are weak. Maybe that's the difference between when, when Christ warns us against offering up these empty, long you know, prayers that everyone can hear, that maybe, maybe part of it is that the prayers are weak because we haven't, we missed that middle step that comes from hearing. So we, we have input from, of the word, right? Through, through preaching, through teaching, through devotionals, um, through just reading it. And, and he's saying that begin with reading or hearing in whatever manner it is, go on with meditation and then end in prayer. And then um, Thomas Manton has a little bit more descriptive one that I'd laughed at today, but it, it gets the point across. The word feedeth meditation and meditation feedeth prayer. Meditation must follow hearing and precede prayer. So this is a different guy saying the same thing in his biblical experience. And he, he goes on to say, um, uh, what we take in by the word, we digest by meditation and let out by prayer. It's a metaphor um, <laughs> that we can all see and smell. Um, the next one, Thomas Watson. Uh, the reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fires of meditation. That's, a, that's a, something that's descriptive that we can, we can really wrap our, 
our, our heads and hearts around. The reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fires of meditation. And then finally, William Bates says, the great reason why our prayers are ineffectual is because we do not meditate before them. So we see this pattern of these people who have had deeply spiritual experiences and are very disciplined. And each of them says, we take in the word in whatever manner, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Bible study, LTG, you name it. Then we need to meditate. We need to spend time and then we need to pray. So before diving back into this study on Monday of this week, before diving back into the details of what we're going to cover tonight, I decided to take some time uh, to meditate. Monday morning, I, I opened it up and I looked at my notes and I said, you know what? I just need to spend some time meditating. I don't meditate. Like, I don't, I, I don't do it the way that I know they're going to tell us how to do it in this book here and in the things we're going to engage in Scripture. I generally am one of those guys that jumps to prayer. And so I, I said, you know what? It's Monday morning. I kind of feel like a hypocrite if I don't just launch off into spending some time meditation and capture what happened. And uh, so I decided to meditate for a period of time in the morning, and I focused on the verse, my peace I give to you. Um, it's one of the things he suggests in this book. He's like, just meditate on the verse, my peace I give to you. My tendency, go with my Bible, go with my journal, go with another book, go with a couple commentaries, go with some other tools, dissect what peace is, look at what it means to give, and dissect all the ways that peace can be given, and other biblical examples and parallels. That's not meditation. That's not even close to meditation. That's, that's when you need to, if you're trying to meditate and you're doing that, you should stop, shut up. And, and, and put away all the extra biblical tools. So this, I decided I was going to do that. I left my journal on the, on the corner of my desk. I threw my notes on the ground because I was angry. And I just decided I'm going to spend, try to spend maybe 20 or 30 minutes just meditating on my peace I give to you. And um, here's what I recorded in my journal afterwards. Three things that I'm sure will change your life. Number one, I feel silly and confused. That was my first observation, your, your pastor and his meditation. Uh, silly and confused. Am I praying or am I meditating? Am I praying or am I meditating? Am I meditating or am I praying? Right now, is this more meditation or prayer? It feels like prayer, but I think it's meditation. But I can meditate and pray at the same time, right? Am I doing this wrong? Because I think I can do both, but, but they're not the same. Uh, observation number two, um, I felt distracted. Seriously, it was ridiculous, y'all. I'm, I'm Okay, I'm, I'm going to close my eyes. And I realized that I had music playing in the background. And so slowly, I start going to wherever I first heard that song. And then it reminded me of a time of life. And then there was this movie that I saw this one time that for, I don't know why, but it reminded me of that song. And then I had some weird image jump in from some Halloween scary movie. And I was like, why is that? Why is that guy in my head right now? It's like a pumpkin head. Like, I don't even know what's going on. And so I was distracted, to say the least. And the third thing that I experienced in my moment of deep meditation was uh, after about 20 minutes of just what felt utterly ridiculous, um, I felt guilty because I was in my office here at the building. 
And after about 20 minutes, I thought, maybe you should just get up and do something. Just like do some work or something. Like earn your keep, do something productive rather than whatever this thing is. So silly and confused, distracted and guilty. That was my experience on Monday morning uh, with meditation when I just dove into it. So um, what did I learn from these verses from Joshua? Um, One... um, just the, the reality that we're going to have to ease into some of these things. You don't just overnight, oh man, I nailed that discipline. I'm awesome at this discipline. Um, maybe you'll have an experience like that. In meditation, I did not. I, I, I mean, it was ridiculous. I felt so silly. Um, since Monday, I've had other moments that I, I found to be far more fruitful and, um, and far less distracting. Um, these verses from Joshua and these insights from the Puritans help me to understand where, where meditation comes. It comes after hearing and before prayer. In this sense, it never really stands alone. It's always fueled by something and fueling something. It's fueled by what you hear, and then it's going to fuel your prayer. So there is a difference between meditation and prayer, and I think biblically what we can glean is that you meditate on the things that you are going to pray about, and the things you're going to pray about are the things you heard from the Word. So there's this, this process that we can all just put down as Christians that hear a word, take it in, but that doesn't mean you've lived it, it doesn't mean you've, you've, you've worked on it, it doesn't mean you've really done anything with it other than hear it. Meditate on it. Think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then go pray. And maybe when we do that, in that manner, it's not rushed, not hurried, not distracted. Maybe we'll find that our prayers are, are more robust and, and fruitful. And, um, and as the prayer of a righteous man has great power and it's working, maybe we'll experience that to, to a new degree. That's what I'm hoping. So, so what does this all reveal about the time that should be given to meditation? Because I just gave you an extra step in a process that I think most of us already already struggled with. What kind of time should we give to this? Uninterrupted time? When we sit to pray, oftentimes our prayers become rushed. Um, I, I, I pray with my kids every night before bed, and um, Henry totally called me out the other night. Some nights, I'm looking forward to this hour and a half known as bedtime. (laughs) Some nights, I'm not. And this was a night where it was like, hey, two older girls, zip it, sleep. Daddy loves you, good night. Hattie, love you, good night. Short prayer. And I I lay down with Henry, and I said something to the extent of... um, uh, Lord, we thank you for this day. We pray for sweet dreams and pray that Henry stays in his bed all night. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> and I am not kidding. He looks at me, he rolls over and goes, is that all you got? <laughs> he said, is that all you got? And I kind of chuckled. I was like, are you calling me out? What are we doing here? And he goes, is that all you got? And I was like, and Lord, we also... <laughs> pray for other important things and, and kind of prayed for a little bit longer, convicted, um, feeling silly that my son told, I mean, totally called me. I said, all you got? And, uh, and then I said, amen. And he goes, okay. And then he prayed like 
like to make up for whatever this was that dad was doing over here. And he prayed. And so um, what I'm seeing here is that that was just a time of bedtime prayer. And I had a tendency to rush even that. And so what, what we're talking about here is, is we got to set aside time. And when you set aside something, you're, you're considering it holy. You're considering this is a holy set-aside time where I'm going to consider what I've heard and I'm going to think on it. And I'm going to think through how it can be applied, how, how I misunderstand it. I can ask God to give me insight. I can, I can look at particular angles of it. I can consider what, just what does it mean to be in the peace of God? What does it mean to have peace given to you by the creator of the universe? And you can do it in a moment. Maybe you're outside and you're looking around saying, look at all this other stuff he created. And, and he made trees pleasing to the sight. And he actually tells me to take the time to consider those birds and to look at those lilies and that... That am, am, are those pleasing to my sight? And you can consider our creator and say that he would give us peace. It's these moments that need to be holy. They need to be uninterrupted. They need to be a priority. And I think we have a struggle making prayer itself a priority. So to say, by the way, you need to spend more time meditating before you pray may just seem like, well, that's an impossibility. But I, I want to encourage all that I think is really, really important. I think scripturally what we're seeing here is to be what God calls us to be and to do what God calls us to do. I don't know that we have another option. In light of the possibility of these distractions, I want to take a minute to consider the biblical uses of the word meditate and meditation. I went through my concordance today and just looked up every use of the word. And I just wanted to understand, you know, New Testament, Old Testament, um, the way leaders did it, the way the psalmist did it, what are the similarities, what are the differences. I just kind of wrote it all down. And if I was to, to mash up all of the definitions to come up with a rounded out and biblical view of Christian meditation, I think it would read something like this. And some of what I'm about to read, we're going to explore more next week. But you might be not shocked at some of what comes about. And you might be very shocked at some of what comes about when we talk about biblical meditation, like the actual word in the Hebrew and in, in the Greek. Musing, sometimes pensively, contemplation, uttering, talking to yourself, communication, sometimes with musical notation, devotion, to ponder, to imagine, to mutter, and even sometimes roar and groan in an onomatopoetic sense. Onomatopoetic. I've been working on that all day. Onomatopoetic sense. Reflecting the sighing and low sounds one may make while musing. Mental exercise. Planning that is often accompanied by low talking to converse with oneself, to premeditate or meditate before, to take care of something, revolve in the mind, imagine and care for or attend carefully. That's all of them mashed up on what it means to meditate. It's taking time to really let things roll over and over again. And if we're doing it in a biblical sense, apparently we look a little bit crazy. I mean, these mutterings, onomatopoetic, that's a music, there's this musical term where there's sort of a, and then it goes, I'm going to do this, and if we do that, and we go, we go to, 
if you heard me working through prayer and considerations, and if you've ever done that, the Bible says that that's a good thing to get to that point where you're really so focused that you're kind of almost talking to yourself and there's these tones and it almost can, and it can almost be musical at times and it's onomatopoetic, so it, it's poetic in the sense that it kind of sounds like what it is and, um, and God says that's good and God says it takes time to do that and God says those kinds of thinking and that kind of centering down on Christ and centering down on the word is, um, is good to, to be what he calls you to be and do what he calls you to do. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the weird parts of that next week. So what are your thoughts and responses when you hear what I just read about biblical meditation? I think there's a there's a part of that muttering. There, there's an it's like an amen when you're praying and you're agreeing with who's praying. And I've wondered if, I mean, as I was studying this and looking, at it, I was wondering if some people would just confuse this with tongues and you know if someone's muttering and saying something in a low tone where they're trying to just kind of get through, it may sound like a shalom ding dong or something along those lines every now and again. I'm not negating tongues. It's in the Bible. I've never experienced it, but it is certainly uh, a scriptural thing. But I've wondered if if there's something in that where um, there's this sort of low, guttural sort of moaning that that is um, an identifying with a truth where you're trying to work through it in your mind. I've gone to a number of like, black church mm-hmm. services, and a lot of people, while they're preaching, talking, they're, they're like validating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think if you're sitting and taking time to meditate before you pray, seems biblically fitting to me as I read that definition. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And what's the main reason that, that most of us wouldn't do that? Self-conscious. Self-conscious. Most the main reason most of us probably wouldn't do that is that we worry about what it looks like. Are you gonna say I was driving down sale this week just thinking through some of these details and I thought to myself, there are so many that just are spent on their kids all day. But that doesn't eliminate you from serving other people, which is hard. I mean, you serve a 
two, three-year-old and a six-year-old and eight-year-old or, or five kids or you, know, you have special needs, that's a whole other level. And if at the end of the day when you're serving and someone says, hey, we've got an opportunity to serve, you may be like, I'm done serving. <laughs> but the reality is you're not exempt from serving other people just because you serve your children. I'm not making light of some very heavy burdens that people carry, but it's the same with this. You're not exempt from time to meditate. You're not exempt from time with the Lord because you spend so much time with, with your children. That's not a good excuse, whether you're a stay-at-home dad, stay-at-home mom, whether you work and you pick them up at the end of the day and from the end of the day on. I mean, there, there's a thousand different dynamics at play. None of them exempt us from the holiness that God calls us to when he calls us to be what he wants us to be and to do what we're supposed to do. Um, uh, one thought that I had, um, and we'll close with this one, uh, was that some of us may meditate more than we realize. Um, it may just not be on the right things. I've had to keep a careful watch on this. And so we'll kind of end with a short warning and a small encouragement. Um, I've had to keep a watch on this. Um, what, is it that, what is it that you think about and use upon? Because that's generally what you're going to end up meditating on. Like, like deflate gate is what some men have meditated on for the last 48 hours. It's a thing on ESPN. I was driving to work this morning listening to it. Deflate gate, oh man, they're cheaters already. They shouldn't go to the Super Bowl. Patriots are cheating. They deflate 11 pounds, 13 and a half. And then they, they have a diagram that they're trying to explain on the radio. I'm like, man, that's kind of tiring. And I turn it off and I go into my office and I come out at five something to run home and I turn it on. Deflate gate! And it's just, they're talking about the exact same thing. And if you listen to that all day at work or every time you're in the car, guess what you're actually going to be meditating on? That. I've had to watch, I, I used to watch the news every night before I go to bed, and I watched it every morning when I got up. And I found myself struggling with depression. The news is not the most encouraging source of information, and most of it's not even news. They'll pick the 10 most depressing things that could have happened. Someone, a bridge collapsed, and 13 people died, and there's, this, there's ISIS over here, and there's this home fire over here, and then they'll end it with a segment about a puppy to try to bring you up the hill at the end. And that's like 99% of the news that I watch, and most of it's not news. And if, it, if that's what you're thinking on before you go to bed, maybe be careful with it. Maybe don't let that be the input when you wake up and when you go to sleep. That which is input into your brain is, is what you're going to end end up um, musing upon. Um, 2 Corinthians 10.35 um, says to take every thought captive, that God has given us divine power to destroy strongholds and arguments and lofty opinions raised against Christ. And part of the equation is taking your thoughts captive, and meditation is a way to take your thoughts captive. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you watch. Um, I was excited because tonight I got to use the term onomatopoetic, but, but what I didn't get to was the term um, psycho-cybernetics, which we're going to talk about more next week. And um, I've got a great example. Does anyone remember Stuart Smalley and Daily Affirmations from, from Saturday Night Live? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. We're going to talk about the repetition of cyber, uh, cy psycho-cybernetics and... Uh, and consider um, what the Bible has to say about such things. So the encouragement, um, the warning here at the end is be careful what you take in, and then the encouragement is the, the rest of Joshua 1.8, which says, 
um, so that you may be careful to do all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. You'll have good success. I don't know if we can make our way prosperous or have good success without meditation. So that's something for us to consider. Let's pray. Lord, we love you very much. Um, we humble ourselves before you and ask that you would encourage us in the direction you want us to go. Um, I thank you for the gift of meditation. I thank you for the gift of a relationship with you in Christ. And I pray that we would treasure it and not seek to have as little time with you as possible, but seek to make more time to carve out room for spiritual growth and for, 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 for mental movement and for the things that you call us to in Scripture. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all go get your kids. We went a little over.